Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. You can find this on page 530 in the Blue Pew Bible underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible here with you this morning. This week and then also in two weeks on the 25th, we're going to be looking at this topic of sex and sexuality and marriage. And as we turn to this topic here in Proverbs chapter 5, this is a subject that Proverbs gives more real estate, more verses are devoted to this subject almost more than any other subject in the book of Proverbs. Quite simply, the Bible's not shy about sex. It is far less shy about sex than we are. And you could summarize the biblical wisdom in this, like such as this, or in this way, that sexual folly destroys, sexual wisdom satisfies, and Jesus is better than the best sex. So, as we come to this passage here this morning, first off, I do want to give credit to Ray Ortland Jr., um, for many of his insights, some of which I'll be sharing here with you this morning. But sex is like fire. It is something that is a wonderful gift. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. It attracts people together. It draws people together. But yet, outside of the fireplace, it scars and it burns down houses and sometimes takes years to repair. And the message of Proverbs chapter 5, using that image, is light the fire in the fireplace and let it burn hot. My goal here this morning in going through Proverbs chapter 5 is to present what the Bible teaches. And some parts of Proverbs chapter 5 are rather explicit, and in doing so, my goal is simply to state what Scripture states, neither muting it on one hand nor sensationalizing it. So let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would send your spirit into our midst to open up your word to us. Lord, that we would understand your grace, your wisdom, your redemption, your beauty for all of life and including this area of our sexuality. Lord, help us to see your truth in Scripture here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 5 is nicely broken up into three major chunks. The first of those is Proverbs verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, where the Proverbs writes, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Proverbs opens up with a simple admonition to guard wisdom, to guard knowledge, and to guard our relationship with God, that is, to guard wisdom. Consider this, that 3,000 years ago, before the age of smartphones, before the age of the internet, before the age of airplane, before the age of telephones, before electricity, before the Industrial Revolution, before the founding of America, before the Age of Enlightenment, before the Middle Ages, even before the Roman Empire, before Jesus Christ and his birth, before the ancient Greeks, all the way back in the, in the Iron Age, a father said to his son, Son, here in Proverbs, you are entering a world of sexual temptation, a world of relational brokenness, a world of sexual manipulation and distortion, not only out there, but also inside your own heart. And it will seem like all fun. 
It will seem like this is what your heart is after, that there's no harm done, that you're strong enough to resist and to be in control. But my son, guard wisdom because fire outside of the fireplace will burn and will destroy you. In verse 3, he puts it this way. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a double-edged, sharp as a double-edged sword. He likened sexual temptation to honey on her lips. Honey was something that was rare. It was luxury. It was unqualifyingly sweet. And he's saying that sexual sin, sexual foolishness, sexual temptation is like honey. It'll seem delicious. It'll taste sweet. But in the end, it is poison. It tastes like honey, but it is filled with bitterness. If that has been your experience, a light bulb should go off. That if I am eating what I think is honey, and at the end of it, it tastes like my mouth has been filled with horseradish, a light bulb should go off that says, wait a second, that wasn't honey. And what Proverbs is identifying here is saying, listen, the lips of a forbidden woman are like honey, but it's a bitter honey that's a poison. Do not be fooled. Don't be, ju- don't be fooled. Don't judge by appearances. You know that conversation that you were thinking of having, that temptation to just to do one more click, to check out this one other webpage, the text message that you get and that you respond back to, these things may drip with seductive charm. There may be a drip, it may drip with flattery, telling you how, how awesome you are, how, how they've never met anybody like you, how you're like unlike any other person, how you're what they're always looking for and what they've always been looking for and have never found, but now they've found it with you. That seductive charm and flattery, that honey, turns bitter and is bitter. And Proverbs makes clear in this opening section that it is more than your sexuality that is at stake. Look at verses, the end of these verses. Her feet go down to depth to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, the realm of the dead. She does not produce, pr- she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Is that th- that going down this path leads you to death spiritually, and at times also literally. And he's urging you to guard wisdom. And it says guard knowledge, that is knowledge of, your go- of God, knowledge being your relationship with God. Guard knowledge, guard your relationship with God, guard the faith that you have in the living and true God, because that is what is lost initially when sexual foolish- foolishness goes rampant. That is one of the first things that fires destroys. To put it slightly differently, what the opening chapters are urging us in this warning to guard wisdom, is this, is that if you think that you are above sexual stupidity, you are asking for it. And what I'm about to say, I wish were not true. And I also will say that what I'm about to say does not refer to, does not refer to anyone directly in Cornerstone, though there's certainly plenty of issues in here. But seeing the way that sexual foolishness and folly has affected every one of us and destroyed so many people. You know, I have known a pastor who divorced his wife, left his, two teenage par- left his two teenage daughters, and then went and opened a massage parlor in the gay district of Washington, D.C. Known another pastor who left, lost his job, lost his ministry, lost his wife, lost his family because of the bitter honey of a listening ear of a woman in his congregation. 
I've known Christian men and women who are church leaders who go to church regularly and, and have served in many capacities who have been hiring prostitutes and escort services for years, committing adultery, and yet trying to live this double life and maintain the image of the good Christian person per, per se. I've known both men and women who walk around like zombies, hating themselves for their addiction to pornography, yet scheming for the next chance to click on their computers. I've known women whose hearts have been locked and sealed and barricaded behind thick stone walls from years and from relational hurt and pain and brokenness from sometimes even multiple decades before. I've known husbands who objectify their wives and wives who manipulate their husbands. I've known Christians who have been engaged in sexual perversion so wrong that it's not even tolerated by the pagan culture. I've known young nurses who, much to their surprise when they went to work in a nursing home, were spending their days educating the residents on STDs and STIs because of the rampant spread of sexually transmitted diseases through the nursing homes. I've known young, young, young teenagers who, when their parents say to them, hey, we need to talk about sex, the teenager says, uh, okay, what do you want to know? I've known teenagers and college students and other people who perceive themselves to be sexually liberated because of their experiences, who perceive themselves to be in the know, in the light, and because they now know how to open doors with just a smile. They know what men want. They know what women want. And they feel themselves to be sexually enlightened. And what Proverbs is warning us there, it says, if, because of your sexual experiences, you feel that you are sexually wise, if because of your experiences you feel that you are sexually enlightened, that you are sexually in the know, Proverbs says you are running, you are sprinting headlong down the path of folly and down the path of death. And I think if the writer of Proverbs were alive today, he would say something along these lines. He would say, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Because, my son, you are entering a world of sexual temptation and relational brokenness and relational manipulation and distortion that is not only out there but is also in here. And it will seem like all fun. It will seem that there's no harm done. It will seem like you are strong enough to handle what you think, whatever is going to come your way. But, my son, know that fire outside the fireplace burns and it destroys. To put it bluntly, if you are a part of Cornerstone, there are very few reasons, there are very few legitimate reasons for you to not attend the Sanity Seminar on January 31st. This is an issue that affects every one of us and affects every person that you know or will affect every person you know. And God wants to give you sexual wisdom. And he is inviting you to listen. And he is inviting you to guard that wisdom. 
And one very tangible way to know this and to grow in it and to understand the redemption of Jesus Christ, how that applies in your life and in our society and in the lives of your children and in the lives of your friend, is to come and to learn more about that on January 31st. There are very few legitimate reasons why for you not to be there. And Proverbs urges us to guard wisdom. The next chunk of it gives them very practical advice in verses 7 through 8. The advice is this. Hands off. Keep your hands off anyone who is not your spouse. Verses 7 and 8. And now, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. The key part there being, keep your way far, far from her. Don't tell yourself that you can get involved just a little bit, that it's not a big deal, that you're strong enough, that you're wise enough, that you've known the Bible says, that you haven't done it before. Don't tell yourself that. What it says here is keep your way far from her. Because sexual folly complicates everything. It hardens our hearts. It, is a counterfeit, it provides a counterfeit sense of intimacy in a relationship that makes us harden. It creates us cynical towards other people. It creates us, makes us cynical towards our partner. It makes us cynical towards people of the opposite gender. And I can't tell you how many times I have had conversations with people who are dealing with their sexual actions, and when they're wrestling with the pain of those things and the confusion of those things, and they talk, talk to about the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ, their response is, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that anymore. And the reason why they say that is because what has been happening is that the fire has been burning and searing their consciences. And it's been burning and searing, and so the self-justification comes along. So the people come along, and they're like, well, you know, I want to go along to this. I want to justify these things. So I don't know that God thing. I don't know if I believe in that anymore. It's a conversation I have had over and over and over and over again. And what has happened is that sexual folly complicates everything. It costs and it burns. We see that cost more clearly, how sexual folly costs more clearly in verses 9 through 11. It says, keep your way far from her, lest you give your honor to others in your years to the merciless, merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed saying, keep your way far from her, lest this happens to you, lest the burning of the fire burns you and scars you and leaves you groaning and your flesh and your body are consumed and you're saying, what happened? It's a man by the name of Lord Byron. Some of you might be familiar with him. He was the envy of women and of men in the 19th century in France. He was a poet. On his 36th birthday, he was in Greece on his 36th birthday, and he wrote a poem, Thus have been the 36 years of my life. And in that poem, and this is the tenor of the whole poem, this is one of the things he says. He says, My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, the grief are mine alone. And the poem continues. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I'm 36 years old and I am already old. All that I have left is an STD and depression, which he had. And where have all of my buddies gone now? You see, sexual folly complicates. It costs. It sears us emotionally. It distorts us relationally. It depletes us 
It depletes us spiritually and also depletes us financially. It perverts our identity. There is jealousy. There is hurt. There is regret. There is heartache. There is bitterness. The cost is high. So how do we begin to deal with that? How do we begin to deal with sexual temptation? We use the off-off principle. When I was in driver's ed and I was being taught about how to drive on ice, they said when you're about to drive on ice, you need to use the off-off principle, which is take your foot off the gas, take your foot off the brake, off-off. And what Proverbs is saying here is take your hands off of anyone who's not your spouse, take your hands off, your eyes off, your heart off, anyone who isn't your spouse, off-off. We'll be looking at this further in two weeks when we see how Proverbs calls us to address the issues of sexual temptation. But what I want us to see here is that this path of sexual folly, of the fire outside of the fireplace and the burning that it, that it does, and the path that it leads us on, but the way off of the path of destruction and onto the path of life is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants you to know that your sexuality is a wonderful gift, that a gift that God has given for his glory and for your blessing. What that means is that what you are as a human being, what you are as a sexual being, is fundamentally not a problem. In fact, it's a privilege. But if you are one who every time you use fire, you scar yourself and you scar other people and you keep burning your house down, it shows your complete lack of comprehension about the goodness of fire and what it was made for. And so, too, your sexuality is a powerful and delicate gift from God, and you can't violate it without damaging repercussions. But the way back to healing and the way back to wholeness and the way back to the goodness of sex that God designed is through Jesus Christ, and that begins with humility. Notice here what Proverbs warns in verses 12 through 14. Here he was at the end of his life where he finally comes to a place of humility. And at the end of his life, he says, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to instruction. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What he's saying is, I look back on my life, how foolish I have been. I didn't listen to instruction. I went my own way, and I have been I have been burned. Sex wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth all the cost and the complication. Sex wasn't worth my virginity, and I'm at the brink of utter, utter destruction at this point. And the way back is Jesus Christ. He is the way back for sexually broken people. He is the way back because he is a real savior. He is a real rescuer for people who are real sinners like you and like me. And other people may have passed you by. Other people may have used you and left you in the gutter, but Jesus goes to the gutter and he picks you up and he draws you to himself and he declares that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That those things don't define you, but in Christ he makes you new. And as Doug preached on two weeks ago from 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, that is, such were sexually Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual offenders, of 1 Corinthians 6 identifies, it says, that's what some of you were, but you're not right now. 
And you're not right now because you have been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You've been washed. You have been made clean. That the way back is through Jesus Christ and he can make you whole again. And Isaiah declares that though your sins be like scarlet, like a scarlet stain, like blood on a wedding dress, though your sins be like scarlet, though you might walk around with this sense of, here is my scarlet letter that everyone sees, that everyone knows, my shame, my indignity goes before me. Isaiah declares, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make you whiter than snow. And the way back to sexual wisdom and to healing is through Jesus Christ. Will you turn to him? Will you turn and receive him? And then walk in the path of wisdom? Because that is what scripture is inviting you to. To walk in the path of wisdom. And as much as these sections of Proverbs, the first section here, warning us about the dangers that are out there and inside of ourselves. And as much as Proverbs explicitly tells us to keep our hands off of anyone who is not our spouse. It even more explicitly tells us the opposite, which is keep your hands on your spouse. Look at verses 15 to 17. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. The image being used here is water that is, crunched, that is quenching and satisfying a deep thirst. More specifically, what is being referred to is a man's sexual desires and passions. Hear what Scripture is saying. Understand what it's not saying. Here is what the Bible is not saying, and it is what most people think the Bible does say, but this is what the Bible does not say. And what the Bible does not say is this. Listen, there is temptation out there. It is going to try to break you, but you need a will of iron and a resolve of steel to survive your future of endless, bottled-up frustration that will never go away. That's not what it's saying. What Proverbs is declaring in the whole of Scripture as well is God's remedy for your thirst for sex is sex. God's remedy for your thirst for sex is sex. Put your hands on your spouse, overflowing sexual joy with your spouse to satisfy your thirst through lovemaking with your wife. Now, obviously, principles of self-control here apply if you're going to have the emotional maturity beyond a five-year-old, right? Of course it does. But God's answer to, to the thirst for sex is sex. To keep your hands on your spouse, and he states it explicitly, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water out of your own well. What he's saying is that your spouse is your private, divinely appointed fountain of sexual satisfaction. And he emphasizes it further in verse 16 with this, this flipped rhetorical question. He says, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of, streams of water in the street? He's saying, ask yourself, how would you feel, O son, if your wife were made her way through the neighborhood? How would you feel, O son, how would you feel if your wife was spread through the streets? How would you feel about that? Well, it applies to you too. So too, focus yourself Focus your sexual desires and energy not on anybody else but upon your spouse. Focus on your spouse and then enjoy the freedom of sex. 
Verse 17 makes it, ties out as well. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. That marriage provides both form and freedom. It is saying, focus your sexual energies on the marital relationship, and once inside the marital relationship, set it free. Go forward with it. To only drink it from one another. Put your hands on your spouse. Verse 17 through 19 makes it even more explicit. Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. See what Proverbs, this, these verses here in Proverbs are saying? Is that you, by faith in, G- in Jesus, have every right to see God, your heavenly Father, raising his hands and blessing over your marriage bed. Now, if that doesn't make you un- some of you uncomfortable, consider this further. When you look at the phrasing here in verses 17 through 19, commentators widely point out that the language that is used here is the form of a biblical prayer. And it's the form of a biblical blessing. And so this is a prayer being given here in Scripture about your sex life in marriage. That's what it is. Now, I have been to a lot of weddings. I participated in a lot of weddings. I have heard lots of fathers give blessings to their sons at wedding receptions. I have never heard this biblical blessing. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know. By the way, don't make your child the first (laughs) on that. But what Proverbs is identifying here is saying here is that God, this isn't something that God looks at and says, okay, well, if you really have to, I'll close my eyes, let me know when everything's finished. Is that God's looking at this and saying, no, this is my design to be delighted in within marriage. And these verses in 17 through 19 identify actually two aspects, both the quantity and also the quality of it. Notice that it says, fill you at all times. Be intoxicated always in her love, that there is a quantity aspect there that apparently was frequent enough and regular enough to qualify with the all times and always. But there's also a quality component to it. For it says, with the quality size, at all times, with delight. May you be intoxicated always in her love. That the Bible's answer for a thirst for sex is sex in marriage. And the Bible is saying, listen, when you get married, go for it. In fact, it's being there as a as a blessing and even a command of God. And if you are one who is married and you're neglecting and ignoring this command and teaching of God, you're setting yourself up, you're walking in a foolish path and a foolish position. Take the Puritans, for example, and how serious they took this. Is that the Puritans, who as it turned out were as not as puritanical as people think them to be, the Puritans actually held that if there was a woman whose husband was neglecting her sexually, this is in their doc- documents, that if a wife was being, neglected, was being sexually neglected by her husband and she came and talked to the pastor about his lack of fulfilling his obligations, and he made that known, and then she made it known to the congregation that he wasn't fulfilling this command of God, he was to be excommunicated from the church for his lack of fulfilling his commitment to his wife. Those were the Puritans for you. What's happening here is that there is a wisdom that God is giving in Scripture of a delight of sex within marriage that God is commanding that God even designed. And what Proverbs is saying is saying, listen, keep your hands off everyone else who is not your spouse and put your hands on your spouse. 
I know it's difficult that some people are in the midst of difficult marriages. And maybe you've been in a difficult marriage and you haven't made love for years, maybe even not for decades. And you're like, you know what, my, my heart's just not into it. You know what, there's just nothing there. There's just so, there's so much water under the bridge. Yeah, that's, there's just nothing there. We just kind of go on and go through the motions. If that's where you are, look at Proverbs 5 as a picture of what Jesus can do for your marriage. Of a husband who delights in his wife in all ways, not just physically, but a husband who delights in his wife and a wife who delights in her husband. Of a relationship in which two people are wildly, romantically in love with each other. You can say, well, that's nice to say. Consider this further. That at the time that this was written in the ancient Near East, most marriages were set up for political and for economic reasons. That's why people were married. Put it differently, how would you feel about this relationship if your father and someone else's father put the two of you together because it benefited them financially for you to get married? Right? I mean, how unromantic is that? I mean, how much, how much challenge would that bring into a marriage that your, your marriage was for the benefit of somebody else? And what God is saying from Proverbs chapter 5 is saying, that may have been how you've been married, but notice what God and his grace and his spirit can do in a relationship, in a marriage, the people who are seeking one another and seeking the Lord in their relationship, to be wildly, romantically in love with each other, and that God can bring this about in a marriage, even as one as cold as a political arrangement, and he can do so not only then, but he can also do so in your life today. Keep your hands off everyone else and keep your hands on your spouse. Given these admonitions, Proverbs then ties this all together with a, with a decision that we have to make. Verse 20 through 23. He asked the rhetorical, given this picture of marriage, given this sexual delight designed for marriage, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Notice in particular verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his path. What are the ways that are being referred to here? Well, it's his sexual relationship in marriage, and really it's his sexual conduct in all of, his lo- in all of life. That in all those areas, it says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. That everything you do and think sexually are be done before the eyes of the Lord. The direct connection between those two. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means to decide. You need to decide. Each one of us needs to decide if you're going to walk down the path of sexual wisdom or down the path of sexual folly, whether you're going to guard wisdom in your relationship with the Lord or you're going to go in a different realm. It means quite simply that if you're sexually active or engaged in sexual activities outside of marriage, it's just, outside of marriage, it's just decide right now. Not, go, not think about it. It's pretty clear. Decide right now to walk down the path of sexual wisdom. For some of you might be thinking, you know what, you know, I'm already broken, I've already done it, we've already crossed the line, it's already too late, what difference does it make now? We're going to be getting married in some time in the future, why, why even bother, why change it? Why? Because God calls you to sexual wisdom, and in Christ Jesus you can be a new creation 
where the old has gone and where the new has come, a new creation where there is healing from your sexual foolishness and your sexual brokenness and your relational brokenness and the pain and the strife. There is a healing that comes through Jesus Christ where your shame is removed and it is covered with the dignity of Jesus Christ and that manifests itself in all of life, including your sexuality. And so it's inviting you and calling you to turn from sexual foolishness and turn to Jesus Christ right now. So too, I know for for marriages, that in the midst of this message here, that this addresses many relational struggles and abuses and hurts that I didn't have, don't have the, the time to cover here this morning. But what I would urge you to see here in Proverbs chapter 5 is this, is that if Proverbs 5, if the picture of Proverbs 5 is far from the reality of your life and far from the reality of your marriage, seek Jesus until you find the answer. Because the answer really is Jesus. Because Jesus came not to take life, but that you might have life and have it abundantly in all of life, in all spheres of your life. That Jesus has came to redeem the brokenness in your life so that you would experience life and have life to the full. And that only comes through a relationship with him and seeking him in all areas of your life. And so Proverbs is calling us to guard wisdom to guard our relationship with God. And having done so in guarding the wisdom is to thank God for his gift of sex and to cry out for him to not only make us sexually wise, but that we would walk and live in sexual wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, we come before you. And Father, for some here today, the idea of sex being talked about in the church, even in a positive manner is so far from anything they've ever known or experienced. And that's just an indication, I think, from all of us, Lord, how our sexual brokenness in this world, in this life, in our own lives, is so far from the delight and design of sex that you created. And so, Father, we do pray that you would make us sexually wise people. Father, that you, by your Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, Lord, that you would heal brokenness that you would cover, that your grace and the washing of Jesus Christ would cover shame and indignity with beauty and righteousness and the dignity of Jesus, and that would be a lived experience for us, not just something that we believe abstractly, but that would be the lived experience that your death and your resurrections covers sins for sins as big as mine. Lord, would you do that so that we would know you and that we would worship you and that our lives would reflect you And yes, that our lives would reflect and live in sexual wisdom for the honor and glory of your name, we pray. Amen.